Welcome, Magical Makers, to an extra special episode. We have another amazing guest because today the episode is all about magical mediumship with author Danielle Dion. Light from Lantern presents Knit a Spell. I'm Magical Maker, Katie Rempe. And I'm the maker of magic, James Devine. Join us as we stitch together the symbiotic relationship between crafting and the craft. Welcome. Um, Welcome, Danielle. Thank you. So Danielle is a psychic medium, witch, herbalist, and author of the book, Magical Mediumship, which you see right here and behind Jim. Yes, right there. Um, Really amazing. (laughs) Highly recommend. A beautiful cover. Yes. Published by Llewellyn. Mm -hmm. Her practice draws upon a vast foundation of mediumship, occultism, healing arts, witchcraft, and herbalism. Danielle is an initiate of the Temple of Witchcraft and serves as Scorpio Deputy Minister of Death, Bereavement, and Ancestral Connections. She co-hosts Mortal Musings, a witch-run discussion group about death and making the most out of one's mortal existence. Danielle runs Crossroads Farms, a small, spirited homestead focused on ancestral connections, magical and medicinal herbal ship, and raising heritage breed livestock. Welcome to Knit a Spell. Yay! Yay! Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Oh, you just have a couple of things that you do. That's great. <laughs> like to pack it all in. <laughs> That's right. Wonderful. I love the Temple of Witchcraft. Christopher Penzak is an amazing teacher. Well, Christopher and everyone who is there. Yes. I mean, one day I'll come and teach at the Temple and Temple Fest. Mm-hmm. Um, just hasn't happened quite yet. But I think that getting your training there at the temple is fantastic. So I really mm-hmm. think that that's amazing. Thank you. It's an excellent community. I love it. I've been, I've, it's been about my backyard. So for a long time, I didn't know it was there. And so I think I probably got involved with them 2012, uh, 2013 and it's just exceptional. So we would love to have you for Temple Fest. Temple Fest is super fun. So, so Danielle, I'm curious, how did magic and mediumship enter your life? I mean, we have this beautiful book, but how did it start for you? Yeah. Uh, well, good question. So uh, I've kind of always been interested in this. It started when I was six years old. I had a best friend um, who passed away unexpectedly. And so I remember very clearly my parents explaining that to me and, you know, understanding it as best, you know, a little kid can. Uh, what was interesting about the situation is that I started to have visitations with him and receive messages in sort of different ways. And that was always very comforting to me. Um, I was very inquisitive. So then it started lots of, you know, questions to my family. Um, and really kind of propelled me into learning about mediumship, learning about spiritualism, that kind of getting into, you know, the witchcraft side of things. And from there on out, I was sort of, you know, kind of hooked on this. And, uh, you know, I think childhood experiences shape a lot of the interest. I don't think you have to have them to be, you know, uh, a medium or connected in this way. But uh, it was interesting that not only did my best friend pass, we had other uh, really significant deaths within a few year period. Another child died of a terminal illness. And I saw a hospice situation of my great grandmother die. So lots of different aspects of death. And that really um, kind of propelled me to, you know, uh, not only to look at that from a, a spiritual side of things, but finding myself in situations with animals dying, people dying and figuring out ways to serve and not get comfortable with it. But, uh, you know, to maybe to understand that better and, and start talking about it, which I have not shut up about. <laughs> yes, uh, I. Fabulous. 
I also love talking about death, a, a topic that people mostly are not super comfortable with, which is yes. why you talk about it more, right? Because Absolutely. then it becomes normalized like everything else. Yeah. And so what inspired you to make magical mediumship ultimately? Yeah. So I feel like I meandered around different communities. Um, you know, I read uh, whatever I could get my hands on from, you know, like school libraries to local libraries at the time, you know, the internet, little bits of things that I could find. So um, I really kind of found a home in the spiritualist community that I didn't know again was in my backyard. I had all these things in my backyard in New Hampshire. And that was something that I had learned about as a child. I thought it was only something that, you know, people in England did um, anymore, <laughs> any, at least. And uh, lo and behold, there was a spiritualist community right in my backyard. So started doing development groups there. And, um, you know, that really kind of propelled me into, um, uh, you know, like doing that formal development work. And uh, yeah, and since then, um, you know, it's been incorporated. So from doing that, it was lovely to sit and have experiences with people, but there was no one solid reference that I had. I loved Raymond Buckland's book. You know, I, I, there was many things that helped influence me, but there was never one straightforward guide to be like, hey, if you're interested in witchcraft, you're interested in healing, you're interested in you know spirits in general, um, but you want to process to do mediumship, there was no one-stop, all-stop shopping. So I kind of incorporated uh, what I had learned over the years, and I'm still learning, uh, into something that if you handed to somebody who wanted to learn mediumship, they could get something out of. If you handed it to a witch and they wanted to know more about mediumship, then they would get something out of it. Um, a newcomer, somebody who's been experienced, I think it, it has something for everybody. And it also has my you know plug to talk about death and to really get comfortable with one's own mortality, because that's not something that um, you know everybody does. And I think as witches, uh, especially that's something that we can, um, that, that is an important piece to chew on if we can. Danielle, can I ask you, so you're using the word mediumship and I think a lot of people understand what that means, but I think there's probably also a lot of people who are, think they know what mediumship means or everyone has like a different perspective on mediumship. Like I, I think, oh, you're, she must be talking about evidentiary mediumship mm -hmm. where, you know, she's doing it this way, or other people are thinking of the Long Island medium, or people are thinking about John Edwards or, or of different ways, or just I'm sitting there and I'm, I have a, I see a, 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 um, a, a specific bird out of my window. And I know that that's my, you know, aunt Millie or someone. So can you describe or give us a good working definition of yeah. to you, how do you define mediumship and what it is? Yes. Great question. Great question. Um, so we addressed, Sorry, kind of I wanted those. to, no, I yeah, wanted to kind of get to that before we moved on. Yeah. Yeah. So from just a basic definition, the way that I'm using mediumship in the book is connecting to deceased um, to deceased people, so dead people. Um, and that can also be applied in other you know, ways. Uh, some people think of mediumship as any connection with spirit. I think a lot of this is relevant to whatever process that you're using. But for me, it's really focusing on the aspect of connecting to the deceased. Um, and there are, we talk about in the book, different types of mediumship, primarily the processes um, and the way that I work is evidential mediumship. So it's bringing through information um, about a person. So if I'm sitting with somebody, so there's different aspects that we go into, but from a formal mediumship perspective, if I'm sitting with a client, I'm sitting with somebody to connect with their loved ones, it's bringing through pieces of evidence about that person. So we have some validation that we feel like we know who is here with us. 
um, some of their essence. So I hope that when I die, I'm not just like a checklist, like she had blonde hair, she drove a Kia Soul. You know, maybe it's more, you know, she, she loved you know, lots of farm animals, pigs. We were talking about pigs earlier. I'm seeing um, a pig. I'm seeing a pig. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'd be like, that would be me. Um, so <laughs> more of the, you know, the fun essence of the person. You know, what was their personality like? What were their memories, their stories? So those I think are just as important as the, the validation evidential piece. Um, and then bringing through messages. So that's kind of the main focus, but there's, you know, other types like trance mediumship is something that I'm very fascinated with. So we talk a little bit about that. Um, we talk about physical mediumship, which is not something that I have really um, had a lot of experience with. Uh, and I talk about my, my feelings about that. Um, so there, that's addressed as well. But a lot of the book too centers on how do you foster your own relationships with your ancestors, your dead? How do you build a spiritual practice around it? Why might you want to build a spiritual practice around it? Um, and some of the benefits of working with the dead should that call to you. Uh, right. I think a lot of people are afraid of this. They're, this is an area like like me in palmistry for some mm -hmm. reason people have a lot of fear when you talk about or when you say and we even call it mediumship instead of death work or necromancy right oh God, the scary right. n-word in the room right yeah oh my god don't talk about that right but um <laughs> we so we have this word the strange word mediumship um or i'm a medium and a lot of people say i only do angelic mediumship or trans mediumship i only work with the angel spirits as a way to sort of distance themselves from this idea of death. Yes. So like, I think in some ways, in my opinion, there's some spiritual bypassing that happens with that, which mm -hmm. I, we could probably have a whole hour conversation over beer and wine, like bitching about that. <laughs> but I mean, just in a quick minute, like what's your thought about how do you, how do you work with that fear that people have around this idea of like, oh my God, Danielle's about death or like, I'm afraid of that. Yeah, so I ran a studio, a, a space, um, Moth and Moon studio for about four years. And I have very, I have a vast, um, you know, different people that would come to my development groups, whether it be psychic or mediumship or, you know, other, other types of classes that I would run. And so very different, you know, the witchy crowd is one thing. And then we would have a lot of the people that were more, you know, new age and angelic oriented, um, which I think all is valid, but I try to do the best that I can to really confront and talk about, you know, words like dead. <laughs> like that's one of the things that isn't even said when in mediumship, oh, they've passed on, they've crossed over. If we need to really totally bring yes. it back to the fact that we are connecting with the dead. This is, you know, that practice. It is not, you know, if we demystify it as best we can, and again, we don't have all the answers, but if we, you know, start using that language, start really recognizing um, what this is, if it calls to you that it is not just, you know, um, it, it is the dead and the dead come with baggage. So it's not all, you know, love and light messages, or it's not all, you know, we're all enlightened when we die. There's, there's a process, there's stuff going on. So um, some people love that. Some people didn't love that. But I think even in the work that I've done with magical mediumship and the way that I try to bring everything together is that there's a place for all of it. But I think we really need to be um, more comfortable with death and in our spiritual practices, more comfortable with death as well. And I think that's what this sort of addresses. But yeah, yeah. I think we we divorce ourselves from um, even the idea of death and the language that we use when we do readings or, or, or we can use, you know, in readings. So that's something I would see a lot. Yeah, yeah. that's a great point. I mean, words are spells. And so if you're afraid to even say those words, I mean, it's very like, I hate to make this reference, Harry Potter situation, like you must not be named, like, give me a break. Right. Um, so yeah, it's interesting. How did writing the book change you as a witch, would you say? And or as a medium. Yeah. 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 Um, as a human. 
I think it was, it was an interesting process. Like I knew that I always wanted to write a book, but it just sort of, you know, um, naturally flowed how, uh, how I just got into the situation to write this book. And I think it really was a good culmination point for me because I think I always, I'm under the, you know, I, I believe we're always learning, you know, we're never, you know, an expert, we're never perfect on anything, but I feel so centered in this because it's something that I've always been doing, whether it's, you know, um, in a formal mediumship situation or just being in the right place at the right time around death. Like I am that person in many ways. So it was, um, it was validating in a lot of ways to kind of pull from all the resources that I've had from over the years and put something out there. I think, you know, there's always pieces that, uh, you know, having written something, I think there's always pieces that you wish you maybe did something different or, you know, I took that out. I wish you left it in, or I wish I took that out and put something else in. But um, overall, I think it's helped me grow. Although I must say this book came out a year ago and it was like, yay, the world is great. I was, you know, this, <laughs> everything was, you know, going well. And, well, not really. It was the pandemic. So that was not yeah, right. super great. <laughs> but for personally, like things were in a good place. The farm was happy. You know, I was I was seeing lots of clients doing lots of um, really cool things with mediumship. And then um, I had a really life altering experience over the past year where I found out that I had a um, rare blood disorder. And so fascinating that it's blood, fascinating that my focus, even in my magical and personal practices about healing, you know, the blood and bloodlines and ancestral, you know, uh, connections has really manifested in my life. So I wouldn't say it's caused by this, but I think it is fascinating that this all sort of stemmed out of um, the culmination of, of letting this out into the world. So. Interesting. Right. Fascinating. <laughs> Gosh. Well, yeah. And I did a little research about this blood disorder and it's, well, I mean, the, one thing that I thought was interesting just sort of as a personal side story is um, it looks like the plasma of the blood is what is helping sort of to like refresh the system, if that's correct. Mm-hmm. Yes. That's, yes, that's the treatment for it. Yep. So I used to give blood platelets as a kid, like yes. all the time with my dad. And I remember sitting there as they're like taking out your blood and then spinning it through this thing and then putting it back in you. And you're sitting there for like two hours, starting to slowly freeze. Yes. Um, Thinking like, what the hell are they doing with this stuff? Yes. They're saving my life. Um, There you go. And now I know. 24 uh, plasma infusions over the course of a month and uh, it saved my life. So I think it's interesting looking at that from a spiritualist, pers- a spiritual perspective where you're, you're having, I would have in a session 16 to like 20 bags of people's plasma. So other people's plasma coming in to your system, you know, I was kind of having discussions around like, what does that feel like? Can you feel their energy? And uh, I don't know. I was so on so many things. I had a lot of interesting experiences, but at the end of it, I'm just incredibly grateful for people who donate blood, who donate platelets, I mean, plasma, um, because that is so life-saving. And if I hadn't been where I was, there are shortages of that. And I was so, you know, critical that, uh, I would have died. And actually, you know, when this all happened, um, it was very critical. We knew something was wrong for months. I was kind of like, do I have autoimmune things? What's happening? We couldn't figure it out. And then, um, I had a little stroke (laughs) on mother's day, uh, you know, interestingly tied to some really big, interesting astrological transits in my chart. So it's like, oh, magic, <laughs> look at it doing a thing. Uh, and yeah, so having a stroke and then finding out if I hadn't um, gone in, if I didn't have that 12 hours later, I would have been dead. So and it was still very critical when I went in. So really getting a chance to face mortality in a different way. So it's one thing to be on this side, you know, sitting with people who have lost or, you know, grieving on your own or sitting with the dead, but really coming head to head with, am I going to die right now? Um, it was a really interesting experience. And uh yeah, it was, um, 
it was rewarding in a lot of ways. Like this sounds really terrible to say, but like, I'm, you know, rushing to the hospital and my poor partner is like out of his mind because we can't, you know, he can't come with me um, because COVID. So like I'm on, you know, this whole thing. And I'm like, if I have to be cremated, it's okay. I know it's not in my death plan, but it's COVID. I understand. He's like, what are you doing? Like, just go to the hospital, like figure it out. So um, that's where my mind goes in a crisis, obviously. Um, But yeah, it was helpful to kind of realize, you know, when, even in face with death, I'm so grateful that I put so much of this together. And if I had died, I was kind of like, I lived an awesome life. Like I would be okay with that, but it scared me and it gave me new perspective about, oh my gosh, I'm leaving people behind. And then it sort of, you know, made me think about, I'm, a, you know, what, I think my fear of death is not so much the dying for me, but it's um, if somebody else that I love died, I think that's worse. I think, you know, looking at the people around me, it was maybe worse for them having to go through this than actually me going through it. So yeah, anyway, long sure. tangent, but interesting connection to all of this. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. Well, yeah. And I mean, what an achievement to overcome, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah, you're still here. You're looking great. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's been six months. I have, you know, I'm still on immune suppressants. I can't go anywhere, which is actually also wonderful. Cause like I'm stuck on my farm. How horrible is that? Um, but, uh, yeah, so things are looking good and, and we're, you know, hoping for no relapse, but, uh, yeah, it's been a time. So wow. still kind of, you can talk to your, you can talk to your animals. They make good conversationalists. I, seriously. They do. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. They're I was just thinking often. <laughs> And maybe it's a interesting topic for like book number two or something, yeah. you know, who knows? Yes, who knows? <laughs> <laughs> I want to know before we go on our break, can I ask a, a question before we go on a yeah. break? I think we have time. Yeah. I want to know, tell us a story. So if we were to be sitting around the campfire on your farm and you were to tell us an awesome story about one of your magical mediumship experiences that sticks in your mind that are just like mind blowing. Yeah. Oh, come on, Danielle, tell us a story. I know I was torn when you need to impress people. (laughs) I know it's funny. I was like contemplating this. I'm like, I should write these things down because my book actually doesn't have a lot of examples. And it's because every book on mediumship that I've ever read is like all examples about how amazing the person is. And I'm like, I just want to know how to do it. So I tried very hard. And that's been one of my feedback. Like we want to know more. I'm like, then read every other book on mediumship. But um, I would, (laughs) which is maybe terrible, maybe good. Um, It's real. Uh, I guess I was thinking of this. So there's certainly been so many things that I think are validating for me on, in my life, um, ancestrally, just, you know, kind of the breadcrumbs and the support and the pushes that I get from my loved ones. But the thing that kind of came to my mind was a, a client that I had, um, a few months ago. And it was somebody that when I got sick, they wanted to book a session. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to the hospital. I can't, you know, and it was just, no, things never lined up. And usually I take that as a sign, you know, I'm not the medium for you, or it's not the right time. And they reached back out to me and I said, I am so sorry. Like, I've just been going through all of this. I would love to get together with you. I'd love to gift you a session because I just feel like I've had to move you three times, which is like, like horrifying as somebody who you know does this. It feels terrible, but that's the reality of, of kind of how things work for me. And um, it was a gift. I didn't realize the person that I was connecting with was giving this to his brother. And so the mediumship session, it was this this, um, little old French Canadian man. So I was like, not your typical guy. Um, And he, uh, you know, came, we had a lovely session. We brought through lots about his dad. It was very validating. He's like, I don't know if I believe in all of this, but I think, you know, I just feel propelled to do this. And my friend, you know, my brother told me to go see you or whatever. So it was really great. And then at the end of the session, I was like, you know, do you want me to try to connect with anyone? I feel like we focus so much on your dad. And he's like, yeah, sure. Why not? I have no expectations. This is awesome. And I have a lot to chew on. 
And I, as, as soon as I said that, I started to feel, and I saw this train and I was like, I feel like I have a young guy here. I feel like somebody 18, 19 years old, young passes in a train accident. And they're just so strong. It was like, I was being hit by a train in it. And it, it gives me chills now thinking about it. And I, I said to the person, you know, like, I feel like I have, um, Nick, like an end name, Nick, Nick. And he's like, <gasps> and like, I, like I could just steal him, like drop on the phone. And he's like, Nicola. And I was like, and it was this amazing story where I, you know, so much evidence came through that I was like stunned by the spirit because that's not always the case. But this person came through, they were incredibly close, best friends. I don't know, very, very close, um, deep connection. This person moved to Canada. The um, person that I was connecting with was supposed to move to Canada and didn't, ended up committing suicide. Um by jumping in front of a train. And the whole message was just like, I love you. I'm so sorry. And um, the person that I was reading for just was like, can you tell him that I love him? And I was like, I can, but you can't. And so this is a total muggle if we're going to use that terminology. And we just sat in open space and this man just wept and freely shared like his love for this person. And I was like, this is why I do this. I don't know. Like not every session is like that, but it was so powerful. It was so healing. I was blown away. He wrote this like amazing email later, just being like how important that was and how he never even thought that could come through in a reading. So not to be like, Oh my God, this is an amazing experience. I had, it was just so powerful that like, you, you can't make this stuff up. You can't, I don't know. It is so when things like that happen, you're just, I just feel incredibly grateful that I am able to hold space for that and be part of it. And like, I don't know, it was, it was just meant to be in that way. So um, that's right. Amazing. Real, Amazing. It was like, awesome. No, that's beautiful. Danielle. <laughs> wow. That is not, that is not you putting yourself as the only medium who needs, who is the, you know, the only medium is Danielle Dion, right? This is when a medium such as Danielle does this work for you, or when you have opened yourself up to a mediumship experience, this is what's available when we can connect with the deceased, when we can connect with our beloved dead, when they can communicate with us, or when we can work with a medium who can do that work and convey that evidence, which sometimes we need to do because we don't always trust our own experiences because we're mm -hmm. too biased. We have too much in the way. Yeah. So working with someone like Danielle is what can happen. And I love that. I'm so, and why work with someone like Danielle is this, it takes years of practice for us to get out of our own damn way mm. and to trust the fact that what I'm hearing is what I'm hearing and what I'm seeing is what I'm seeing. And like a lot of times when I'm connecting with the dead, it's like trying to hear someone from under the water through mm -hmm. wavy glass yep. and playing charades. It's like, yes, not like much. they're actually talking. Yeah. I just want to say, thank you. That's just what an amazing story. Yeah, and I'm so glad you shared. What a it. gift! Goodness, oh, thank you. And I think that's just—it's—it's it's exactly that. It's learning to trust the process and not being afraid to sound, you know, potentially very wrong. You know, mm -hmm. those are—you know—when you get out there, you just have to kind of get on your own way. And it is like spiritual charade. It's very much, you know, using what you know. Um, like I would never have gotten that name, but I could get, you know, Nicole, Nick, you know, things that would be sort of similar. But I would never, you know, 
this, you know, the French situation I would never quite get. So it's just using what you've got and knowing that you can do that and that they mm-hmm. will use you um, to, basically, uh, <laughs> to, to get through. And so if you can, yeah. you know, hold space for that, it's, it can be so, I don't know, amazing right. and powerful. And I hope my mouth never stops hanging open at this um, right. because it, it, you know, continues to just awe me. <laughs> Oh, I think that's the, the key to it for sure. Oh my gosh. Well, let's let everybody digest that story a little bit while we take a quick <laughs> break. All right? all right. We'll be right back. Hey, Knitispel listeners. Are you looking for a magical accessory to add to your making or magical toolkits? Well, guess what? We have the perfect merchandise for you from your favorite podcast, Knitispel. The front of each bag includes our logo so that you can tell everyone that you're a fan of the best podcast that includes magic and making in the entire world that I'm currently aware of. If you're a maker, you'll especially love the magical sigil I've put on the back of the large drawstring bag, which will help you notice any mistakes in your project sooner than you might expect. The back of the smaller zip bag has inspiring notions to help get your creative juices flowing and is made from a sturdy fabric to house sharp things like scissors, needles, and more. Both of our knit spell bags are available exclusively at makersmercantile.com. And while you're there, feel free to check out all the amazing making materials they have for knitting crochet and more and we are back as you might know danielle our podcast is all about where magic and making combine so i'm you know with your book there's so many uh great exercises beyond just like you know great work of mediumship but also like recipes for teas and oils and essences and so many things where i was like oh my gosh like my book has i think every other page um like flagged and i just was like well this is ridiculous at this point it's just the book just go back and reference the book but um so i'm curious how do you feel that making these items you know i mean you can go out and buy tea and oils and things but how do you feel that making them yourself by hand influences the magic yeah. Well, I love that this is all crafty because I am a crafty person too. I'm a crafty witch. Um, and yeah, so I think that it is lovely. And I think, you know, if you buy teas or, you know, people that have put intention into things, that's a lovely way to do things too. But for me, it's awesome if you can get your hands into it. And so tea, for example, is something that I love. So, um, you know, the, the act of just whether you have harvested the plant or whether you are just even taking, you know, dry herbs and blending it in this way, it's aesthetically pleasing. You touch, I, I touched them. So sorry, I washed my hands, but, uh, you know, putting your hands into it, feeling the essence of the plant, communing with the spirit of the plant, asking it for it to imbue whatever you are hoping to achieve by this tea blend is such a sacred and profound. And yet just spoken from the heart, easy way. Like you can certainly set up ritual and do this, but for me, it's really just being in the moment, being with, you know, the plants, being with this intention. If I'm crafting a tea for, you know, the bereavement tea is my favorite one. Um, and the one that I make the most often because people, you know, you, nobody who's dead is drinking the tea. It's the, the, the bereft, right. It's the people in grief. Um, and so creating that blend with that intention that this warms you, that this holds you in this time where it is, you know, where there's challenge and there's tra- tra- uh, transition, is so, um, I don't know, there's something so powerful about it as the practitioner, but just how beautiful that you can then, you know, bring this energy to something that then is gifted or that, you know, even if you're selling it, that is, you know, for that intention to um, benefit somebody. It's, it's, I don't know, it's, uh, it's personal, it's sacred, it's beautiful work. And I think it is part of the craft. So if it calls to you. Yeah, absolutely. 
And so you mentioned you are kind of a crafty witch. What other types of crafts are you uh, into that yeah. you kind of combine the magic and making qualities? Yeah, well, I'm, I'm particularly interested in the teas again right now because when I because of this blood disorder, talk about taking away your tools. So like they're like, what are you on? I'm like, here's the list of like 900 herbs that I like take and like you know work with. Um, and they're like, you can't have any of that. You can't do any of your herbalism. You have to be incredibly careful. You can't have anything. So I was like, what? So it has been for me a lot about working with flower essences, working with um, the spirits of plants, and surrounding myself with what I can because. I can't ingest, I can't imbibe in the way that I have normally, although I, I am starting to incorporate teas back in. So um, certainly love teas, certainly love crafting. You know, it, it's it's the holidays. So I'm in the process of, you know, just making decorations. For some reason this year, I'm all about cordials and like decorations, which is not like normal. Usually for me, it's like a usable thing, but I don't know why I'm being extra. I'm like, yeah, oranges, yeah, cranberries. Yeah, like, you know, like my kitchen is a mess. Um, and so I've been kind of into that. Uh, but I have this dream of spinning. Um, I'm not the best spinner. So I know you are a knitter. Um, I, I, we were talking a little before where I'm hoping to incorporate sheep at some point into the farm and, and Shetlands. Uh, um, so that's something that I have a deep envy of other people who do that work. And I think that is so like tied, not, you, you don't have to do that to be a witch, but like it is so tied to the idea of, you know, weaving fate and, you know, uh, the fibers and the thread and the connections. Mm. And there's so, you know, there's such a rich, um, I don't know, like a, a metaphor there, or I don't know, just connection. So yeah. uh, that's where I'm hoping to go with things. But yeah, I just like to, you know, kind of whatever's around me using, you know, whether it's herbs or evergreens or just sort of what's like, what's near you, like going outside. If you live in a city, you know, go pick up some mugwort and, you know, um, bring that into your house, you know, the, uh, what we have in the room. That's like a, a bramble. So on a, on a dark moon, we went out and grabbed, um, yeah, blackberry brambles and, and did a whole mm. little ritual to bless and, and consecrate. And actually those were for the animals, but for some reason I felt called to bring it in here. So kind of using what's around you, being inspired, being connected and knowing that it doesn't have to be any one particular way. Um, but it's nice to have things to draw from to, you know, mm. work into your craft, whatever, you know, ends up being. I, I love that you have that creativity and that you're looking for and have the eyes to see the things around you. Mm -hmm. And it's great that you have a it, you living on a farm, living with animals, you know the things that the animals will eat. You know the things that are then edible or that then are usable. There's a certain in, in a certain quality of being in touch with the land and knowing that oh, brambles are things people in the city might not know that, right? Yeah. Because we don't see that those are actually things that animals eat, or we just it isn't common knowledge when you're no longer living with you know animals and living on a farm. So that's a really cool connection to the land. I really think that that's fantastic. And mm -hmm. I think that living on a farm also brings you into that cycle of seeing life and death because, yes. you know, you're, you're actually seeing like not all the animals survive mm -hmm. and not all the animals can sometimes an animal might have more, um, you know, offspring than they can actually support, or there's a runt or there's someone. And although we may do our best to try to nurse that runt or keep that alive, they may just not be, you know, viable, at, you know, mm -hmm. as an offspring. And so you see that those don't survive for whatever reason. And so we see this experience of death, you know, when you're on a farm or when you're, even when you're a gardener, when you're out in nature. So I'm curious, like a lot to a lot of us, we have been so separated from death. You know, we get our meat in packages. We don't even know like what part of the cow that is that we're eating or whatever, right? We we eat meat and it just doesn't 
It, okay. We don't see how, where it comes from or what the experience is in total, right? Uh, and so we, I think for most of us, death makes us uncomfortable. So death of us humans, obviously, we are programmed to live, thankfully, but it makes us really uncomfortable. So are there things that you would suggest? Are there ways in which we can start to work on, especially as witches or as spiritual practitioners or as people sort of in a spiritual realm can help us work out of that a little bit or move beyond the sort of like mm-hmm. black and white thinking or, or knee-jerk reaction to like, you know, death is bad mm, type of fear. idea. Yeah. 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 Um, I think there's a few ways to this. I think, first of all, acknowledging if you're uncomfortable with death and that's okay. We live in a society that's been so divorced from like taking care of our dead for the last, you know, few hundred years. That wasn't always the case, but that's where we are right now. And I think Mm. culturally we're shifting to a more death positive way of things. But now when somebody dies, you know, ah, call, you know, call the funeral home or they're at the hospital and you never see the body. And then, you know, they're, they're, you know, prepared out for you in, in a, you know, very clean, cleansy way that, you know, We've sort of have that idea that that's how it's supposed to, you know, that that's the way, the only way that it can be. And that's not they're the packaged just mm-hmm. like the meat just at the, the meat. store. They're yes. yes. Oh my God. <laughs> Hermetically yeah. sealed and prepared for you. And, oh God. Yeah. Made um, pretty. Yeah. Mm. So I think, you know, knowing that's not the only way that you have control over what happens to you when you die. Um, I hope to be, you know, and again, you know, telling my poor partner, you know, ah, you can cremate me if I can't have my wishes done. But I would love to have a natural burial. I would love to be waked in my home. And I'm lucky that I have people around me that are, you know, into this too, that can maybe support that process because my partner is not going to lay me out on a table by himself. Um, and so like the, he's not the same as I am in the comfort mm-hmm. level of death, but we work on it, you know, and it, we work on it by talking about it. And so every, um, Thanksgiving this year was a little special because of everything that happened to me. I was fine with it. Everyone was like, this is raw, um, but, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, pumpkin pie and how do you want to die? Yes. Um, and so like, you know, oh, your after, next book? Is that your next book? Pumpkin Pie and How You Gonna Die? <laughs> that's a big thing that I talk about in the end of this because right. it yes. is like a good keyway. I, I probably could have written a whole book on the last part. I, th- I still just, think that you know. part of it can be your whole next book. I know. Book. I was yeah. like, I'm sneaking this in. I want to like, take over like part four. Um, but uh, yeah, so I think, you know, that I have still family that is like, I don't know, it makes me uncomfortable. But, you know, by cracking away at it, you know, over the years, I have a little bit of a better context about what to do, at least in an emergency situation, at least the basics of what I know, you know, I, people who I may be responsible for want, they certainly know my wishes, because I've, you know, put together a whole thing and revised that a lot this year, because of everything that's happened. But um, if you're not ready to be at that place, I think it just starts by, you know, acknowledging the uncomfortableness. If you have a fear or if you have something that really scares you, because even the idea of dead bodies, sometimes that scares folks. And I'm not saying, you know, go out and look at dead bodies, but kind of lean into the fear a little bit and see if you can demystify. Um, I think through talking, through, you know, communicating, through learning about things, that helps me, you know, um, come to terms with things. But start by talking about it. Talk with your family. Talk to your loved ones. Go to a death cafe. You can join us for Mortal Musings, which is... um, uh, something that we usually run every month, but we're not, uh, we're taking a little winter break. So I think we're back in February, if not definitely, no, I think it's February. Um, so that's through the Temple of Witchcraft. Elsa Elliot, who's a fantastic um, death worker and awesome, lovely witch. She's the lead minister of Scorpio. Uh, we run that together and it's, you know, always an interesting conversation. Anything from the mundane of just, you know, what do you want to have done with your body? Or how do I tell, talk to my parents about this? Or the spiritual side of things? What do we think happens after we die? What's an after death experience? So it ranges the whole gamut. 
But um, yeah, I think, you know, demystifying, asking questions, getting more comfortable with it is a good starting place if you are death apprehensive. And that's normal, too. I think that's okay to acknowledge that. You're not. And that's (laughs) that's a great tip for anything you are afraid of. Anything. If you're afraid of lace knitting, guess what? You should do some research about it. Like do a swatch. Don't be afraid to fuck it up. Like it doesn't yep, matter. Yep. Lean <laughs> it's in. It's not a life and death situation. Yeah. Um, that is, but, you know, <laughs> like <laughs> perspective. But even right? if it is, if it's a life and death situation, lean yes. into it because wow, maybe it is not as scary. And that's mm-hmm. right. Like w- it, we are terrified of things that are not life and death situations. And it's also, we use that term life and death situation when we're like, wait a minute, dramatic <laughs> like <laughs> death doesn't even have to be that scary when we lean into actual death. There are yes. so many things about actual death that when we lean into those fears, we can start to become more compassionate and access our intelligence and our mm-hmm. rationality and our you know, it, it's, it's an amazing thing to do. I have a particular passion and interest around death and even have, a um, have done projects and studied it and all kinds of stuff. So it's a particular little area of interest of mine. Um, so I love this whole conversation and think that I, I, I think that normalizing co- death conversations, my, um, really good friend and, and I, um, have done, have hosted conversations with oncology nurses around mm-hmm. death and how do you want to die? And it's fascinating how everyone is like, wow, freak out. And then after the workshop, they're like, oh, I'm way more comfortable with death. Mm-hmm. When I'm comfortable with death myself, then I can have conversations around people that are ill or dying and can be really a great support to the people around me as they're going through things. And it makes me a better priest. You know, it makes us better practitioners and not like, avoidant or freaking out. Mm, yes. so. Knowledge is power. For sure. Yes. And from a healthcare provider perspective, that's so imperative. Like before I uh, went full swing into the moth and moon and, and everything, I was a director of uh, quality education and infection prevention at a hospital. And the favorite aspect of that job was talking about care transitions, end of life care, and getting our ICU nurses, getting our you know physicians comfortable with the idea because they were facing death every day and they're not comfortable with it. That's right. I feel like oncology had a, a better, you know, a, a better feel on it, but even they needed to talk about it. Yeah, I know you have a background in oncology. They're the best people. First of all, I'm just going to like plug it from being on the hospital side of things and then being like uh, in hematology, everything going through this process. Like I have so much absolute respect for like the oncology folks in the world. I think they're just absolute angels. But um, But I think we could have taught, we could have introduced, we could have introduced patients to palliative care at the very beginning. Yes. Not as a death conversation, even just as a palliation conversation, like, let's help you. You'll do better if you had that conversation at the beginning. And we were terrible at doing that because everyone is like, no, we're going to have you live. And I'm like, wait, is living really the best thing? Like, how about quality Mm. of life and like the long-term goals? But we're so fixated on living at any cost. So that's a whole nother conversation. But it is interesting how when we don't face death, in a healthcare perspective, right? What mm-hmm. happens, Danielle? We end up making really weird decisions about. Well, they're made for you. Life. 
Yeah. Yes. Or they're made for you because your wishes aren't known. And then you have somebody who is bereft after your, after you die being like, did I make the right choice? Like that is one of the things that like, if we can all have an advanced directive at the very least, and with an advanced directive, most states, if you just go online, go to your state, most places, you only need two witnesses that are not related to you and you can have an advanced directive. And that will cost, that is, so that is a gift you can give your loved ones who are in a position to make a decision for you. You um, can download the Download the five wishes document for really yes, inexpensive. A That's a great yep. document to download. It's really oh, yes. easy There's, to fill out. Yes. Interesting. And so... And and thinking about that, um, you know, there, there's so many really great tools out there now. There's so many good books coming out. There's so much conversation that's happening around this. Like, if you're interested in it, there's a stream of people that are interested in this, too. So, um, yeah, yes. go boldly into that, because I think this is where really, truly, like, one person can make a huge difference for the community that they're part of, for the family that they're part of, you know, whether that's, you know, like, chosen family or extended family, uh, or if you know, even if you're disconnected from biological family, but you're going to be in that position someday, uh, like, you know, that's a good favor for you to have, um, because it can, you know, it, it, it makes a huge difference in, in the moment, um, in, you know, when it comes down to it. Mm, yeah. Yeah making sure you're getting what you want and taking the stress off of them. <laughs> that yes. is key. Or again, getting what you want if, in case you have different opinions of the people who are taking care of you. That's also very important. Yes. Yeah. Uh. I'm thinking, um, I was just, I was going to say, I wasn't going to bring up pumpkin pie and how you want to die, but the thing I was reflecting on was writing your own obituary. So yes. just as a, as a, as a start to your, um, journey, if you are uncomfortable with death, just kind of, that gives you an opportunity to say like, wow, am I doing all the things in my life? It's kind of like a checking point. Um, it's a good exercise just to take inventory of what you think matters in your life. The first time I did it, I realized it was like a list of accomplishments, like all of my degrees, all of my accolades, all these things. And I'm like, that has nothing to do really with who I am. And so mm-hmm. rewriting it and being, you know, I want to be remembered for the stories and the people and the connections and the animals and like, you know, the things that make me me, not just the things that I achieved. Mm-hmm. And I think that was a really great, um, you know, moment for me to realize, you know, what really is important at the end of the day. And it may be for you that it may be those accomplishments, but having a pulse on that, haha, um, you know, <laughs> learning about, um, you know, where you're at with it. And if you feel like, you know, if this was your obituary and you were sad, you didn't accomplish the things you wanted, that can encourage you to go out and do those things. Um, Cause you know, nothing is certain. Uh, death mm. comes for us all. It doesn't discriminate and uh, tomorrow's never guaranteed. Yeah. Eat Such dessert good first. Advice. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I was doing that too much on the prednisone, but yeah. <laughs> well, you know, nothing too much, but also you you know what too much is eventually, right? Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, I when I wrote that, read your book and got to the part about write your own obituary as a control freak, I was like, oh hell yeah. Yes. Like this is it. Because you're right. Like, I don't want it to be like. Katie grew up in Ohio, <laughs> moved to Florida, and went boring. Yeah. No, it should have tons of puns. It should probably be a joke at the end. Yes. And I can only hope I die in an ironic manner because that really would be funny to leave behind for people. Like, in an oh, ironic twist, yeah. Katie Rempe died. <laughs> On her way to the yarn store to finish making her Afghan for her coffin. Yes. <laughs> so we just put all the yarn in there with her, figuring it, she'll figure it out on the other side. Ironically, <laughs> Katie died in an unironic way. Right. Yeah, maybe that's a good point. <laughs> when her dog pancake sat on her face. Oh. Yeah. Oh, yeah, right. She didn't see it coming. A tiny chihuahua had so much power. Oh. Yep, 10 pounds of love. <laughs> I had to write my obituary as a roast. 
because I was so confronted by the fact that I hadn't accomplished anything when I was in college that it really bothered me. And so instead I wrote it as a roast, like in a very British type style where I totally was like, it was hilarious and very funny, you know, and was totally, uh, it was very, very funny. I thought, and I read it out loud to the class. We all had our radars and people were just like kind of appalled. And then they just started laughing like crazy. And um, it was pretty uh, effective, but I, but it did change me. And I did really unapologetically go for my dreams ever since then, because I realized I don't want that to be my, well, the roast is fine, but I didn't want the actual obituary to read like the serious one that was like, mm. he did nothing, the lazy <laughs> or the roast, which is the lazy bastard did nothing. <laughs> well, that's wonderful. And I think that's a good, like inspiring, you know, yes, this is like how I want to live um, because mm. this is not how I want to be when I die. Right. Um, I just had to revise it for the, I'm in um, the W5 uh, seminary program for the uh, Temple of Witchcraft, which also very much aligns with my interesting journey this year, but we had to do the obituary and I was just adding to mine being like, I feel like it's a bit extra for, you know, Danielle's life was very, you know, uh, changed by TTP, which is uh, trust the process I, I have found in my disorder, which is fascinating. But, uh, you know, that I think it's a little bit extra that I didn't need this because I'm already, you know, got enough things on my personality list that people would remember me. So this was not necessary, but here we are. So, <laughs> <laughs> and people are horrified too. I, you're supposed to read it to your family, which I think is actually a really great idea. But again, sometimes family is not necessarily on the same page as your humor or your um, goals, but yeah. nonetheless, it is your wish. So let it be so. Indeed. And it's good to get them to imagine your death can help them imagine their own and be more normalizing this conversation. I was just going to say too, sometimes out of the bad death, um, we, that has really sparked a shift in my family where we have, you know, my grandmother was uh, an incredible nurse and she knew what she wanted. She did not want to go to the hospital. She really, you know, conveyed her wishes and participated in the conversations. But when my grandfather didn't, and we were kind of, you know, struggling in this way of like, did we do the right thing at the end? That really, you know, calling that out and saying, we don't want this to be anyone's situation moving forward has been really helpful. So if you've had a bad experience with death, if you feel like I am bereft, I'm struggling with, did I not do the right thing? Let that be a catalyst too. So know that, you know, I think forgive yourself because that is what we are societally. That's, you know, that's the reality of many deaths in the United States and in the world right now, but you can change that moving forward. Use that as something to get better um, for your loved ones. Mm-hmm. Yep. Great message. Learn to do it better next time. I think we should wrap up the episode with a little palm reading of Danielle's hands instead of our oracle reading, because I'm very curious as someone who works with the dead and is such a wonderful um, witch and medium and all this, if there's anything, you know, telling in your hands. Jim, are you down? I am down. All right. So we are going to check out your hands. So (laughs) here is your right hand and I'm sharing the screen to show Danielle's hand to the public. This is your right hand, which indicates your work in the world. So one of the things that's interesting about your hand is um, your hand shape is in the shape of air and fire. So you see how you have a little bit longer palms and a little bit shorter fingers. This is the element of fire. You also have this lifeline and headline separation. Mm -hmm. So the separation between your headline and your uh, lifeline 
and some of the squareness in your palm and some other indications also show that you have an element of air in your hand. So this duality of elements, the two elements of fire and air, air is the element of logic, rationality. People with air hands tend to be very organized and rational. Um, let me pivot that Excel spreadsheet for you. If I, if I said, Danielle, I want to get a new car, you would say, oh, Jim, hold on. Have you done your budget? Have you looked at all the research? Have you done all these things, right? Uh, on a Palmish budget? What, like, don't you have a car? Like, what's going on? Um, whereas a water hand would be like, feels great. Let's let's go with your feelings, right? Or a um, an earth hand might be like, is it pra practical? Do you need a truck to haul that dirt, right? So an air hand would be like, let's think about the rational, logical reasons that you need it. Rationalize it. A fire hand is someone who is all about transformation and change. So fire is the transformational person. So someone with fire is looking for how can we change things? And they tend to be transformational just by being involved in something, um, even if they don't mean to be. Um, un un immature fire is the person who, when things aren't going their way, takes their hand and clears the monopoly board off the table. <laughs> but mature fire is the person who can transform things and, and who can bring that transformational quality into what they're doing. Okay. So let's bring those together. When we bring fire and air together, I call it the combustion hand. This is the hand that Martin Luther King Jr. has mm -hmm. had. What is this? This is transformation of mindset. People who have combustion hands are looking to change the way th that others around them and that they themselves think, the way that they process their mind and thoughts that transform and transformation of thinking. Often they do this in different mediums through communication mediums. That's very much an air <laughs> through, it can be through music. It can be through anything that travels through the air. Like books or through teaching or mm -hmm. things like that. So even before I, like, even if I were to see your hands before I knew what you did, it would have blown your mind for me to identify these things. The other thing that's very interesting is you have a lot of things on your hand that are indicative of someone who's a writer. On the thumb, there's a, a, two knuckles on the thumb, the one at the base of the thumb and the one like the second knuckle, like under the fingernail. Behind every knuckle is a crease so that your finger can, you know, bend. But some people have a crease where there is no knuckle in between those two. That's called the editor line. And so you have an editor line because you're a freak. And <laughs> you have a crease where there is no knuckle. And so whenever you have an editor line, this, and you have it on both hands, this is um, often associated with people who are excellent at communication. The hand gesture that you're doing when you're looking at the screen in this selfie, both of your pinkies are winging out. So this is a this is the mercury finger, and that shows high communication, very active communication. So these are the initial things that really tell me, well, you're born to communicate well. And so if you choose to write or however you communicate, it's probably very uh, mercurial. It's very exacting. It's very expressive mm -hmm. and, and carefully like looked at. 
What's something that you noticed, Katie, about her hands that you wanted to mention? Yeah. You said the long lifeline. Yes. The long lifeline, which obviously, um, which is, doesn't mean you're going to live a long life just means you've probably lived many lives. Jim was telling us the other day that many people who are in our line of work, which is and whatnot tend to have a really long lifeline. It's an old soul vibe. It's a life of completion of mm. completing lessons, a life of, um, resolving karma. It's a really fantastic, mm-hmm. you know, long lifeline. Yeah. Um, I'm also noticing both of her lines are looking pretty straight, the head and the heart line. Pragmatism, a real matter of factness, mm-hmm. yeah, a pattern of matter of factness, a pattern of compassion is there, but it's measured. And it's really about like, pull up your bootstraps and learn by doing, and you'll have mm-hmm. compassion when you dig in. That's amazing. Uh, first of all, I, my astrology is very prominent air. I'm a double air and uh, fire. So that's a lot of my chart. I was like, oh, this wow. is like so like spot on just for well, I had no like, idea. Yes. Yeah. Cool. I'm an Aquarius, a Gemini moon, and then uh Sag rising. Oh. So uh lots of, you know, I, th- I feel like that is very um accurate to me. And uh yeah, I don't know. I never heard of combustion hand. So that was pretty that was very cool. It's a it's a divine hand method, it's part of the divine hand method. So it's nice. uh pro- a method that I yeah. developed being frustrated with traditional palmistry. So yes. It's, I think that's spot on. So I feel, uh, and you have a combustion chart. You can look at your chart in this way too. As you, as we combine elements, we can see them as combustion and it's a very cool way to think about it. Yes. Oh, well, thank you for that. And I feel like, I don't know, even just the essence of palm reading, it's it's that you can have changed. I think what I'm taking away from this too, is that, you know, you can be that catalyst. You can change things, even if you're combusting things. Um, And so, you know, I, I would take from, from that for me, but I would hope other people could take from that too, is that, you know, your hand matters and that you can, uh, you know, you communication, you know, communicate about your wishes, communicate about, you know, what is uh, inspiring you or baffling you or fear, uh, you know, a fear for you. whether it's around death or anything in your life and that, you know, you can take and, and, and change and move things forward and you can be that sort of hand in it um, for yourself and for others and to reach out to others too. Cause I think the, the idea of communication and connection is about kind of hand holding. So I, I feel like that was very spot on. I'm very, I'm blown away. So that's really cool. <laughs> that's so Yay. awesome. <laughs> oh yes. Just a tad of his brilliance. <laughs> yeah. Oh, awesome. gosh. You're silly. It's so fun to do. Well, I'm glad to give you a little taste of it and for everyone else to see what it's like to get a little bit of palmistry and a little fun from Katie. You can learn how to do a little palmistry from one of my classes. And that's right. You had a lot of fun learning with me at one of my recent classes. Oh my gosh. I've never taken so many notes so quickly in my entire life. I've been harassing people about looking at their hands ever since just having that like basic knowledge was I mean, granted, you know, it's like anything, there's a well of knowledge underneath the basic baseline, but uh, just having that baseline was really, really fun. So it's like when you find someone that is a really good teacher, that's one of the things I love about you, Katie, is I found someone who's a really phenomenal teacher, just really connects with someone. Mm -hmm. I know that I really love teaching. I have a passion for it. So we found each other and it's really fun for you to see me teach. It's really fun for me to learn from you. And Mm -hmm. like, I can tell that from you, Danielle, also that like, just from your book and from everything, it's just, you know, Mm -hmm. this sort of way of imparting knowledge and sharing with people. It's so much fun. So I love teaching you palmistry, um, Katie, and I love teaching palmistry anyway. So it's really fun to have you in the class and just to see then immediately you're like, oh yeah, there's this thing about your palm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're yeah. ready to do it right away. 
right away. It was really impressive. Very impressive. I love watching people teach who know their shit and are really good. Like (laughs) speaking of Danielle, what do you have going on this coming year as we venture into a questionable 2022? (laughs) Brought to you by yet another letter of the Greek alphabet. Right. right. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, yes, I would, I would agree that it's interesting. I love teaching. Teaching is like my, one of my favorite aspects of this work. And this past year I have done the least amount of teaching I have done I don't know, in 15 years, I think. So um, I'm excited to return to that, uh, you know, with everything, hopefully, you know, I, 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 I am set to be at Between the Worlds and Sacred Space, which is incredibly exciting for me and also a little nerve wracking with everything um, I've been through, but uh, very excited to be part of that. So if you're going to be there, you can you can come see me or stay far away from me, but I'll have a mask on and uh, a hat on. <laughs> I'll look very special, but you'll be able to find me. She'll be um, in the bubble, but you can look at her. I'll be in the <laughs> bubble, but uh, I will have my books there too. Uh, and then I'm also, if you're online, Temple Hearth is um, a weekend in February that the temple runs. We have Temple Fest in the summer. Temple Hearth is meant to be more um, the teachers of the temple. So people that are in the temple community that want to share, that want to do you know, a, a class. It's open to everybody, but it kind of highlights that. There are some guests, but for the most part, it's people um, in, in that community teaching. So I'll be teaching how to give a mediumship reading. So if you're a psychic, if you are um, somebody already doing this work and you get asked to do mediumship and you're like completely paralyzed by that, we'll kind of go through, all right, let's break it down. Here are some things that you can use if you, you know, are on the spot um, and and can get you a little bit more comfortable with that process. So I'm excited for that, but you can check out um, daniellediane.com. You can check out uh, where I'm actually in the process of uh, moving away from Moth and Moon Studio. So we had that, we closed the physical location. We were doing some online things, but I'm actually transitioning to Seed and Sickle, uh, which will be my herbalism, my death care services, um, you know, the readings, you can get a hold of me that way. And also the work that I do with Heritage Breed Livestock and uh, Crossroads Farm. So check out those places. And uh, yeah, I'm excited to, uh, and you can book me for readings and things on those sites as well. So, but I'd be happy to connect. And you're currently taking doing readings, is that right? Yes, I'm on a reduced schedule, so hang tight if you have to wait a little bit. Um, be, be flexible with me, but uh, I am I'm loving it, and it has been um, just wonderful to be back connecting with people. I'm I'm really grateful and excited for it. Oh my gosh, it's wonderful! Fantastic. Well, yeah, I can't recommend a reading highly enough, the book highly enough. I mean, all the things. We'll make sure to put full show notes so that everyone has easy access to everything that's going on. Oh, great, Danielle! Oh, this has been fantastic. Fabulous. Yes. Well, well, thank definitely. you so much for having me. It was awesome. And one last thing that I thought about was um, when I was in the hospital with all of this, uh, from a knitting crafting perspective, I was I received a shawl from our shawl ministry. And I wanted to say how healing and wonderful that is for people who are going through transitions. Using your craft and knitting and sharing uh, shawls in that way has been really significant to me. And um, I'm really inspired by the work that you do. I think it's awesome. And so that that has been moving and powerful to me in this time. Oh, <laughs> see people, it does matter. So yes, keep do doing stuff. the good work. Danielle, thank you for being our amazing guest. You. you can find more about Jim as always at the divinehand.com or divine hand Jim on the Instagrams. And you can follow Katie on Instagram at light from lantern or on her website, lightfromlantern.com, which is also where you can find the knit a spell homepage. Of course, you can also just go to knit Follow us or listen on anywhere you find podcasts, leave a review or not just listen and hang out with us. We love you no matter what. That's right. We'll see you all next time. Yes. Thank you again, Danielle. And for our listeners, we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye everybody. 
Thanks for listening, everybody. And don't forget, new episodes of Knit a Spell are conjured every Wednesday. Learn more at knitaspell.com and follow our Instagram page at knitaspell. If you have a quick second to support the show, feel free to drop us a review on iTunes or share this with a friend. Jim and I appreciate your support and look forward to seeing you next week. Thank you.